Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Conversations with Olivia Jade, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations. Happy New Year. I know that um, my last episode was really, really well received from you guys. And it was with Dr. Hillary Golcher, who's an amazing therapist. And honestly, the few episodes I've had her on, she's really helped me. So today we wanted to completely put the focus on you guys the viewers, the audience, the listeners, and I asked you guys to submit some questions. So maybe if you don't have access to therapy or you just are looking to get some advice from a professional, I have an amazing therapist today. So please welcome Dr. Hillary. Hello. Um, Hi, welcome back. Thank you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back. The last episode was obviously like really therapeutic for me because I feel like we kind of talked about myself more than I normally like to. Um, So I'm really excited for today because we're going to put the focus on the listeners and we have a ton of questions we didn't get to last time. So I kind of want to just dive right in if you're good with it. By the way, proud of you for for being vulnerable last time. Thank you. It was tough. (laughs) I was like scared to listen to it back. I'm like, oh gosh, what did I say? Um, but I took it to Instagram. I know our social media for the podcast, which is conversations with Olivia Jade on Instagram. If you guys don't follow it, check it out. So you guys can be in the loop for future episodes, but I'm going to start with the ones from actually today. Cause I feel like it's cool to do the most recent questions. And, um, you guys had some really, really good questions for Dr. Hillary. 
And I think we're going to start... I think this is just a really good one and fitting for the new year. And just, I think it could go in a lot of directions. So the first question, don't worry, I'm keeping them all anonymous, is how do you deal with everyone around you thriving and you feel stuck in the same place in life? Mm, Yes, Um, that's such a common and devastating dynamic, right? I think we've all had seasons in our lives when we felt that way, when our life has been stagnant or we felt a sense of paralysis and um, our friend group or our family or our significant other relative to where we experience ourselves are are doing better. And it's super triggering. It's mm-hmm. super, super triggering. So I, I sort of want to start as, as I always do, people who listen to me know this, I, I, I want to start in the, the validation, the acknowledgement, the truth of it, that that is hard. And I think the more we push away and try to exile that feeling, the more it grows, the bigger it gets, the scarier it gets. So the first step, not the only step, but the first step is to sort of honor the feeling, is to recognize it, to kind of soften around it, to not try to resist it, to not try to push it away, to really bring it close. What is this? What is the feeling? And what is it trying to tell me? right? Because it, it might be trying to tell us a number of things that are significant or important to listen to. It might be trying to tell us something really specific about our path in life that we need to get more directed, that we need to get more focused, we need to get more serious. It may be telling us that our sort of uh, 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 amount of, of self-love that we have inside of us, our reservoir of self-love, if you will, is depleted because if we're feeling so triggered by how others are doing relative to how we're doing, there's maybe something going on inside of us that is having a tricky time kind of honoring what's unique and special about us, where our journey is at that particular time in our life. So really trying to hone in on what those feelings are, are telling us and, and then um, kind of getting to the, the more general part of it, what we can do when that feeling comes and it's so uncomfortable sitting in, I don't know, envy and sitting in jealousy is, is such an ugly, hard yeah. place to be. It feels so badly. And so I think tons of self-compassion is really important and to just sort of sit in the feeling and try to mobilize gratitude for the things that we do have in our life to help expand our perspective in those moments. So I think it's a really multi-layered process and I don't want to minimize how hard that feeling state is. So what I'm saying, sort of a a bunch of tricks that once you employ them, you'll feel fine, right? right? This is a signal that a number of things are happening in our life that are tricky. And and so being able to get closer to what those things are and sitting in those feelings and listening to what it's trying to tell us, I think is a really healthy, although difficult place to start. That's really good advice. And this is definitely not an overnight process because I even feel like I've been there and I feel like from an outside perspective, that would be like, oh, whoa, you can relate to that too. But of course, when you see people around you that are thriving and you feel stuck, there's not, there's nothing worse. You're just, you compare yourself. It gets to a point where you're so hard on yourself and it can be so difficult. But I also know like with time, it definitely helps. And um, it's not an overnight process at what is, all. What you reminded me, one of my favorite things to say to 
clients or, or folks that I'm, I'm working with is that no feeling state stays the same. No mm. feeling state stays the same. And you can, you can check that with your own evidence, right? right. The, the worst moments that you've had in your life, the worst season of emotions always dissipates, always changes, always shifts. And so that's another thing that we can use as self-soothing in the moment, some version of like, it's not always going to feel this way. That right. doesn't mean doesn't feel really bad, but feeling states constantly shift. And so leaning into what it's trying to tell you can be really useful because it won't always be there. That is so true. I love that. Um, All right. Next question. Somebody asked tips for self-sabotage slash overthinking. So I guess they're asking tips to diminish the tendency towards self-sabotage and overthinking. Right. So those are... um, well, I guess those those two things could be combined, um, but let let's let's sort of unpack them a little bit. So, tips for self sabotage. The the first step, and and I guess your listener um, is already there, but is really deeply recognizing that it's happening. I mean, one of the insidious parts of self sabotage is that oftentimes we don't recognize that it's happening, and we start to blame outside factors or start to imagine that we're just the target of bad luck, et cetera, and, and aren't recognizing that we may have actions that are, are inviting kind of mm. negative toxic patterns or dynamics or people in our lives. So the first step is, is recognizing it and being really authentic with yourself about it, that like, wow, there may be something I'm doing that's bringing in things into my life, whether it's people or behaviors or external events or activities that aren't working for me to really lean into like, wow, this is a scary admission, but I Mm -hmm. think there's something going on here that I'm contributing to. And that can be a really scary thing to admit. So I think deeply leaning into that truth, if it is a truth for you, is a really important first step. And then the next thing I would recommend is to slow way down because self-sabotage happens really quickly and it happens kind of in a cloaked way, right? It's so unconscious. And in some cases it's kind of involuntary. So Mm -hmm. we don't even recognize it's happening until we're sitting in like the collateral damage of it all. So really slowing way down. If you have specific arenas in which outcomes are not going well, you know, whether it's romantic relationships or in your professional life, et cetera, really slowing down when you're engaging in activities or dialogue or decisions around it, recognizing the thoughts that you're having, recognizing the decisions that you're making based on those thoughts, consulting with trusted others, really slowing down because self-sabotage usually comes um, from a place of anxiety and, and fear and from a place of fear around having success, taking up more space in the world, you mm-hmm. know, sort of um, realizing your full potential. So really slowing down to explore what those feelings are if you were to allow yourself to bring in more good and to understand what the obstacles are. So that that's a lot to do on, on, on your own. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, but but engaging in journaling or meditating can help. And of course, I always end up at some point when we talk recommending therapy, if this is something that is really a dynamic taking over right. your life. And, and just to quickly address overthinking, um, overthinking is, a, a, is an offshoot of anxiety, right? We have consuming thoughts, we ruminate, and it can be devastating. It can really change how we move through the world. And so- I have a couple of recommendations. One is uh, meditating, reading, uh, journaling. So those thoughts have a time and a place and then can be sort of 
um, have a specific finite time to be done with them and getting our body used to that process of taking them out and putting them back and kind of alongside that. And we talked about a version of this, you and I, um, last time we talked about that five minute idea, this idea that if you have an issue that you're overthinking about really putting a time limit on it, that like, I'm going to take the next 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to journal about it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to talk to my best buddy about it. And then I'm going to stop. I'm going to put it away. I'm going to purposely engage in compartmentalization, like healthy mm-hmm. compartmentalization. This is difficult. It doesn't mean it won't prop up and sort of, you know, um, you know, focus on the shoulder and try to get us to think about it again. But if we build up a practice that kind of interrupts the neural pathways that get us to have a thought and go all the way to the devastating angsty outcome. If we interrupt those neural pathways with other healthier behaviors over time, the overthinking naturally begins to dissipate. Interesting. And somebody kind of had like a, it was a different uh, user, but kind of a branch off question about overthinking. They said how to stop overthinking, especially if you have traumas about bad things that have happened to you. Is that kind of the same advice or if it's like a deep, deep trauma that somebody might have occurred in their childhood or at some phase in their life, would you recommend something different? Definitely. I'm glad that question got asked because if we're talking about trauma and Mm -hmm. we're using the term overthinking in that context, we potentially are talking about PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And one of the key symptoms of PTSD is, I, I wouldn't call it overthinking, but I understand how it would feel just like that, but is intrusive thoughts, intrusive Mm. thoughts that we cannot control, whether it's around reliving the trauma, whether it's around intrusive thoughts about who you are, your relationship that you're in, what your life is about, et cetera, intrusive thoughts that are um, uncontrollable, that feel like they are invading um, your ability to really function. Mm. And so if we're talking about a version of that, and it doesn't have to be as extreme as I was just describing, but anywhere on the spectrum of intrusive thoughts related to, tied to past trauma, that is an absolute signal to seek services for treatment around trauma and PTSD. And it would be much more difficult, as I'm sure your user um, would agree, to on our own try to stop that kind of intrusive thinking, right? And you can start to feel hopeless and helpless if you're trying to control that on your own and it's not working and you're feeling more and more overwhelmed. So I would just say, if that's happening, know that those are symptoms of PTSD and there is absolutely help out there, really clear therapeutic um, approaches to helping folks deal with PTSD. So, so I would recommend services as soon as possible if that's the case. Great. And somebody also, I guess we can bounce kind of off this too. Somebody had asked, I've gone through bad trauma, but financially I can't afford that extra help and that therapy. Is there something that you're talking about that maybe listeners don't know about that they could access that's maybe not as expensive or just like a little bit more in reach for so many people? Yes. Most, most communities, I mean, and, and certainly it's, it's more the case in bigger cities, but most communities have low fee clinics where folks that are going through training to become uh, doctorates in psychology or clinicians or therapists, et cetera, uh, do their pre or postdoc hours and are supervised by licensed professionals. All of this to say, very solid services available at these low fee clinics. And so if whatever city that you live in, Googling some version of, you know, Chicago, low fee clinics Mm. for therapy could yield opportunities that 
are, you know, as low as 10, 15, $20 or less um, for therapy services that are are good and really solid. So that's sort of a, I I guess, like a a not well-known resource that's available in most communities. Wow. I had no idea. That's so interesting. Um, Okay. Well, this next question, I can relate to this. I feel like most people can relate to this, men, women, everyone basically, but it's body image and how to create a healthy mindset around it. This is so hard and it's such a tricky question. And I feel like I can't even wait to hear the answer because I relate especially with social media and seeing everybody and comparing yourself. It's so easy to do that. So do you have any advice on this topic? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a difficult one. And as you can imagine in my private practice, I I think most every woman, and unfortunately it, it, it typically lands with, with women and, and lives there um, because of so many of the sociocultural pressures that are out there and the images that are put forth, but it is ubiquitous and, and kind of, kind of devastating um, the, the burden that most women carry ar- around this and surprisingly and, but noteworthy, regardless of what a woman's body looks like many, if not most women feel about the same. And um, that leads me into my next piece, which is that beginning to recognize that a good part of one's relationship with their body isn't really about their body is a good place to start. I want to first say, which I sort of alluded to a moment ago, there are so many pressures about body image, right? Mm. The social media um, images that we face and the pull to compare are you everywhere and we have to confront them regularly. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So I don't want to diminish the reality of what it really is like to look at bodies that appear to be perfect and compare them to our own and uh, look at the gap and feel badly about it. So I, I, I'm not trying to suggest that that isn't a true dynamic, mm-hmm. but that's also one of the dynamics in this equation that we actually can't control. We're going to confront those images and we're going to confront bodies that look differently than ours. And there are pieces of this equation that we can start to take control of, which is the part that isn't really about our body because it, it, it again, sort of reflects um, some version of a deficit of, of, of self-love, some depletion in mm. our tank of self-love, right? And, you know, it's not that we can't have wishes or ideas or sadness or frustration about how we might want our body to look relative to how it does look, but leaning into the parts of us that are more defining of how we move through the world, the services that we're supposed to provide during our time on earth, mm-hmm. how we treat all kindness. And I know that when I'm talking about these things and you're looking at like a bikini pic of, right. of someone that you follow, it's kind of hard to lean into like, well, who, who am I supposed to serve in my right. life? Right. Right. Such different, um, you know, reservoirs from which to pull, but developing a more spiritual practice about who we want to be in the world, how we want to show up and what we define as kind of success and lovability and worthiness is a really important practice to start to lean into. It's not an immediate solution to the problems that we are facing around body image stuff. But in my experience, it really is the only approach that has longevity Mm -hmm. because our bodies change, we get older, um, and all of the media that is entering our sphere is constant. And so if it's more around uh, working out or uh, how we eat or um, even 
body positivity, the idea of like loving our body, no matter what, which I'm all for, um, that still doesn't get to like the core core issue that doesn't change, um, regardless of the input that we're getting from the outside. So it, it's really beginning a, a practice of self-love and a philosophy around how we want to confront those things. It's a, it's, it's a long journey. Yeah. It's a, journey I've never thought of it that way too because I think it's so natural to just jump to at least for me like I'll be like oh I'm just not working out enough I'm not eating right I, I treated my body like this week like I have to get back on it and I get so hard on myself and it can be such a downward spiral from that moment yes. on and yes. it's, it sucks it's the worst feeling ever but I think also knowing that your body is individual and unique and literally nobody else on the planet has it and take care of it if you're healthy like it's such a blessing if you are healthy and have an able body I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. All right, next question. This is actually a good one. And I think a lot of females can relate to this and I'm sure males too, but you'll see why I said that. It says, how to build a relationship with your mom when you argue so much. I think that's just such a dynamic, at least with like my friends and people I've heard that that you guys can butt head so easily at a certain age in life or um, yeah. what's some advice for that? Yeah, um, I, I I think it's it's so common um, for young women to struggle with their relationship with their mother. I think as women, uh, young women are beginning to try to individuate and find their own full selves. There's this push and pull between how much you 
want to rely on your mother, how much you do rely on your mother, how much she parents you versus respect your mm-hmm. um, individuation, your individuality is um, is a spoken and unspoken verbal and nonverbal dynamic that gets played out between mothers and daughters um, uh, uh, sort of over time. And, and I think gets exa- exacerbated uh, around like teens and early 20s. So having said all that, I, I, I think it's it's really about communication and communication that can be productive and direct and respectful versus the kind of communication that often occurs between mom and daughter, which is like frustration and um, kind of coming together and pushing apart, coming together and pushing apart. So I recommend if there are specific things, for example, that your mother does that that doesn't feel good, you feel like she criticizes you, for example, right? Instead of in the heat of the moment, in the aftermath of a criticism, Mm -hmm. trying to discuss how that impacts you, trying to uh, manage um, your uh, mother's tendencies outside of the moment when you're in a calmer, connected sort of situation with your mother, being able to take the risk, be vulnerable enough to be like, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about something. There seems to be like this dynamic between us where when I tell you something that I want to do and I tell you something that I really want to work on or I mm. really want to achieve that you tend to doubt me, that you tend to criticize my approach and that really hurts. Mm. And, you know, trying to at least have a dialogue that's direct and that's delivered in a way that's respectful and digestible, I think is really, really important. And you and I talked about what I'm about to say in our, on, on our last time together, but also recognizing when you're in a situation where you're not going to be able to get what you right. want. And that's devastating. That's grief worthy. That's frustrating. That can bring about a lot of anger, but recognizing it and figuring out what you're going to do as a result of that starts to begin to save a lot of pain and angst and um, misplaced vulnerability Right. So if we come to recognize, for example, that our mother's not available to have sort of a vulnerable, real dialogue with us or can't uh, interrupt her her tendency to criticize, then being able to start setting boundaries with her. So maybe I'm not going to talk to her about vulnerable stuff. So maybe if she's getting in that mode, I'm going to say, you know what, this doesn't feel really good. I'm going to, I'm going to head upstairs or I'm going to say goodnight. Right. Instead of engaging in the behavior that we end up not feeling good about, in the face of their toxic behavior, we set boundaries both with them and with ourselves. Yeah. Lifelong process, no doubt. But th- this is these are the, the bullet points, the highlights of, right. of that question. Yeah. Um, let's kind of take it to s- some relationship questions because, damn, you guys flooded me with those. I don't even know where to start. Um, a big one was tips on how to get over a breakup, heartbreak, et cetera. And then a lot of people were also asking how to get over somebody if you've never even dated them and you kind of just like made up this situation in your head and now you feel that same like weight of a heartbreak, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think probably the things that I will talk about getting over a, a heartbreak where you've been in a connected intimate relationship with someone will apply to the latter, but I'll, I'll make some distinctions. I think in some of this is going to feel like repeat, but I, I think getting over a heartbreak is such a triggering time, obviously. Mm-hmm. And many of us immediately feel the intense desire for it to be better and, and quickly, 
right? And we want to do things to turbo the process along. Right. Um, right. I mean, whether that means, I don't know, you know, going out a bunch with our friends or hooking up with some other guy or um, hyper, you know, processing it with our friends, but feeling frustrated that you still don't feel better. Right. right? All of those things are things that we've all done and we'll all do again, but trying to recognize that there really isn't a shortcut. There just isn't a shortcut. Right. Break. There isn't. It's it's traumatic. It's devastating. It's grief worthy. And and depending on your particular trajectory, it's 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 a a loss. It's a it's a significant loss that has to yeah. be. And the only way through grief um, is to go directly inside of it. So allowing ourselves with trusted others, uh, with ourselves, to sit in those feelings and and cry and be frustrated and to let it wash over us. Because if we try to take a shortcut, we end up having symptoms, right? So in the scenarios I was talking about before, let's say we're trying to like bypass all that. We're going out with our friends, we're drinking a bunch, we're hooking up with guys. Maybe it feels better temporarily, but symptoms start to to develop, whether that's depression, anxiety, um, lower productivity at work, lack of focus. It, it gets stuck in our body, the grief, and it comes out some other way that we don't have a say in. Right. Right. Right? It comes out in some way where we're like, Ooh, I don't like the way I'm showing up here. I'm really irritable with my friends. I'm really irritable with my family. It just comes out. There's emotional rent to pay if we don't grieve. Right. I would say my biggest piece of advice is, is to um, allow yourself to go through it. And I'm sure many of your listeners um, avail themselves of, of what I'm about to say, which is like sisterhood is a big thing, right? And so being with your friends, but being authentic and real with your friends about your vulnerability, your hurt, and kind of surrounding yourself with people who have your back is so important. Yeah. I'm like that and can be super empowering. And to kind of bridge to what you're asking about before, uh, in that question, which is what if like you're not even with someone, right. You're grieving a breakup of some, someone you were just kind of quote talking to on like right. DMS or something. So the, you know, some of the stuff that I, I just mentioned could apply, but I, I think a deeper dive into what compels someone to get so invested into a relationship that isn't, um, IRL, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> that means in real life for those that don't know. <laughs> in real life, right? That isn't in real life is an important thing to think about because there, there may be something going on there that's really worthy of understanding, a, a fear of intimacy, a fear mm. of rejection, right? Um, some self-doubt, uh, again, a depletion in, in self-love that's prompting us to get so invested in something that isn't really available to right. us us to explore and fully show up in. And perhaps um, there's someone on the other end who isn't available to invest in us and accepting um, something that's less than what we deserve. That's, you know, wholly inadequate is also something to look at. So I, I think, you know, the grief over like, wow, I had a big hope that this guy I was connecting with and talking to was going to be something. And wow, it's really disappointing, um, is worthy of some grief that the hope you had, um, and the disappointment that ensued is, is, is real. But if this is a pattern, I would really do, um, as I said, as kind of a deeper dive into like, what is, how is that serving me? You know, me getting know, caught up with someone that isn't really in, in my life. What is that? What is that sort of revealing about where I am right now? Yeah. And a lot of people are kind of asking too, like in a, in a relationship, if somebody does struggle with some sort of mental health issue and it can be extreme or even maybe on a less severe side of things, how do you know that they're struggling with that? And how do you differentiate them dealing with something that's 
you know, like really hard in their brain versus just being maybe not to be rude, but just like being an asshole or acting out. And like, how do you differentiate like just being not getting the respect you deserve or if somebody's like really struggling? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, hmm. So I have a, a couple different responses to that. I think more importantly, perhaps than than what you were saying is whether or not the person that is mistreating us or showing up in a way that we don't feel good about or doesn't feel good to us, whether or not they have insight or interest in working on that is probably the headline of the situation, right? Rather than whether or not it's a diagnosable thing. Because if we have someone who's either an asshole or who's depressed, um, right. but isn't available or doesn't have the insight into like, wow, what, what I'm doing right now is impacting you negatively. And I need to think about this and work on it. It almost doesn't matter. Right. right? So we want to have a willing partner, someone who is interested in, in growth, who's a seeker and who is um, open to feedback about how they impact you. Having said that, I mean, if we have someone who is deeply struggling with depression or anxiety or, uh, you know, bipolar or something that is going to impact our behavior, their behavior in some cases involuntarily, that's important to know if you're making decisions about how you want to support that person, right? And so I, I think the willingness of that person to pursue a deeper understanding of what is happening with them, again, is the key. Because right. from where, where we sit, if you are the partner of that person, um, you, you, you're not going to be able to diagnose that, right? You might right. have some ideas about it. You might have a hypothesis about it, but you're not going to be able to answer that question. So it's really more about that person uncovering that information. And I think if someone is interested in healing from a diagnosis that's serious and grave that maybe gives us more opportunity to feel comfortable with supporting them than if uh, they're they're deep in denial about it. Right. That makes sense. I feel like that's such a hard question too. I didn't even know how to like really read that one off because it is so, I feel like specific to somebody's situation, but um, yeah. Yeah. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Um, somebody else asked how to live as a hypochondriac. It's ruining me and my kid's life. Do you kind of want to explain what that even is and then maybe some advice? Yeah. Well, a hypochondriac sort of in a very overgeneralized layman's terms is, is someone who experiences um, distress in their body uh, often. And uh, in, in many, if not most cases, it's either not really there, or uh, it's an exaggeration of the actual symptoms that are happening. So most people um, identified as someone who says that they're sick all the time, or says that they have ailments all the time when they really don't. And mm -hmm. so that's um, kind of how it tends to play out on a day-to-day -day basis is feeling like you are sick or about to get sick and being consumed with that. And it is an anxiety disorder. It is ultimately mm -hmm. an anxiety disorder and is in the end, not really that much about the day-to-day -day struggle with, oh, am I am I getting the stomach flu? Uh, did I break my ankle when I just fell, et cetera? But it's really about an anxiety, uh, an intricate anxiety uh, coping mechanism for anxiety. Because if we have deep-rooted anxiety about trauma or other aspects of our life, but become consumed with, am I going to get sick? Or is my back out? Or right. I have diabetes, et cetera, we get to escape uh, the root of the real issues and problems in our life. And it is uh, usually done in a very unconscious manner. I'm sure the listener that we're addressing or listeners that we're addressing don't think directly, oh, this is what I'll do so I don't have to think about all the problems right. in my life. All feels very real. So what I would recommend in this case is, is seeking services immediately because it's an anxiety disorder and there are very specific therapies and potentially medications, depending on your situation that can address it. And you don't have to suffer that much and your family doesn't have to suffer so much, probably on your own, you're not going to be able to think it or wish it away. It's reflective of something deeper going on. So I would, I would really honor it have a bunch of compassion for yourself and, and, and seek services as soon as possible. Yeah. I think this is also an interesting question. Um, a lot of it was just like how to be comfortable being alone or like, what if you feel so lonely and isolated, how to break that feeling? Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of around that. I see a few questions like that. I've been there. I can relate to that feeling of just feeling like you kind of like don't really have anybody. And I think for me, it just took time, but for somebody else, like, what would maybe you recommend? Did you, during, when you've had those moments, did you find anything specific that was soothing? My sister, my, like mm -hmm. people that I could really trust and have around. It was honestly really when, um, it was around the holidays. Both my parents 
uh, were going to jail and it was just rough time. It was just like, I felt very alone. Like I only had my family. I didn't want to talk about it because I was afraid of anything being like put in the media. Um, So I relate to that a little bit. I think it's different because mine had an end date. So that's kind of what I was looking forward to. Like I knew their release dates and I was like, okay, when this happens, like my family will be back together. Like it's going to be okay. Um, But I know that's a very weird specific situation and a lot of people's um, are very different. So for me, it was just finding comfort in like my, my sister or the people I could really trust around me. But what if maybe people don't have that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, thanks for, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I think that's right. I mean, that, that, that would always be my, my first line of defense is, is if there is a, a trusted other in your sphere that you either are regularly in contact with or could pull close again, I think it's really important to take the risk to do just that because when we're feeling alone and isolated, connecting with someone that we trust is, it's definitely an antidote, right? But you ask the the question, Olivia, which is, well, what if you you don't have that? And, right. And that is, I mean, I think we can all agree that if that is the case, that you really feel like there isn't anyone in your life presently that you can lean into, that's really, really, really hard. And so I start where I often end, which is trying to find some kind of services, therapeutic services, even like the low fee clinic I was talking about. So you have someone to bridge and until you can start building a community again, I think is really critical and important. Part of my recommendation and advice is going to be to work towards building a community, you know, whether that comes from, I mean, it's a weird time with COVID and everything, but whether that comes from like an online book club or, you know, taking an online class or, joining a hiking club or something, right? I mean, finding ways to start building again is critical because it it really is one of the primary ways that we heal from isolation and loneliness is is healthy and and, and safe connection. And um, some of the other things that I've already talked about, which is kind of expanding or developing a spiritual practice can be helpful during times like this, like what getting into like, what's my connection to a a higher power? If that resonates, what's kind of my purpose in, in life. And can I use this really odd, lonely, difficult time to get to know myself a little better. And I, I, I say that with clear understanding that that doesn't um, remove loneliness and isolation, but can over the long run build some resilience and, and fortitude. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this could kind of be a segue into this, maybe not, but ways to manage social pressure about being 30 and never having a boyfriend or a significant other before. Mm, Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, Yeah, it it is hard. And and I think that's, that's, that's where I begin is again, having, you know, compassion for the real feelings about it that an individual might have that if it's something that you've wanted and haven't had that that, that is hard and, and, and maybe sad and, and frustrating and allowing yourself to have deep compassion around that. Also allowing some sort of exploration of the societal pressures around that and trying to make some decisions about how much of that you are going to allow to impact you, mm-hmm. right? Because maybe maybe in your sphere, it, it, it is okay, right? Maybe in your sphere or deep down, um, it it 
it isn't as important to you right. as it is society that you have a boyfriend by the time you're 30, but maybe it is. So I, I'm just offering that for someone who's like, actually, you know what? It's I'm okay fine with, with it. Yeah. yeah. I'm fine with it. And it's really about the pressure from my mother or from people that constantly ask me. So who, who are you dating or when are you going to get married? Right. right. There's a lot of dynamics that impact how we feel about it. So getting to know your specific true feelings around that might provide some relief. And, and then I, I, I think being able to just give yourself grace right? Give yourself grace that, um, that those, those kind of connections, um, sometimes take time for people and develop later in life. Um, maybe there's work that you've done on yourself. Maybe there's work you've done in your career. Maybe there's been, um, deep connections you've formulated with your friend group or your family that have been primary for you and allowing your journey to have different chapters than other people's journey mm -hmm. I think is, is, um, really important and can build a sense of self-love if we embrace and pull close our own uniqueness. And so I, I as I say many things, I, I recognize that's not an easy stance to take when you're facing societal pressures or peer pressure or that sense of comparison, right. but really developing a narrative about your own journey that reflects your truth, I think is really important instead of just adopting the journey that the narrative that like, oh, something's wrong with me because I don't have a boyfriend right. until I'm 30, right? I mean, I, I, taking the measure of the other aspects of your life next to that truth is a really important part of it. Yeah. And I think like overall, um, I think like, I know this is more about society, but also comparing yourself on social media. And this could go back to like any questions about body image or just comparison in general or comparing your relationship to somebody else's online or comparing that you don't have a relationship to somebody else online. It's um, it's also you have to remind yourself, like especially this day and age, that like people are putting their highlights out on their social media and it's really easy to look at it and be like, wow, that looks like perfect. Their life seems so easy, but I mean, take it from me. I'm I'm just being very honest. Like I would never post something that I don't feel like the most confident in. There are so many photos in my camera roll that will never see the light of day of just like selfies that are just like I will nitpick till the end of the day, basically. So I think it's important to remind yourself that we are living in a world where we see so much, but so much of what we see is everybody's like highlight moments. And that's such a good point. And it reminds me that I often work with people in my private practice who post the kind of images that you're talking about, right? right? That are sort of perfect and capturing really um, impressive, connected um, moments and who share in a therapeutic setting that in fact, their relationship with their significant other is um, conflictual, um, that they don't feel like they are paid attention to enough, that they're on the verge of a breakup, right? right. That Right. That there's and that that isn't to say that some of those images perfectly capture someone's happy moments. Right. right. But I think what you're pointing out is important that everyone has their their burdens to bear and has um, uh, issues and struggles, even within the confines of, of their relationships, their professional lives. And it's really important to ground ourselves in that truth. And I think it's really important for you to be open and authentic and vulnerable around that. because. Yeah. Because lots of girls look to you and I'm sure think that very thing about you. So yeah. to be able to, to say out loud that like, hey, like the, what I put out there is curated because I have my my own insecurities right. about 
things that I don't feel completely confident in is is really powerful. Yeah, it's it's hard, especially I feel like being young and this kind of upcoming generation of growing up with social media. I think I was one of the last generations to kind of escape that. I went through my childhood not with an iPad or a phone, just playing with dolls and using my imagination and not seeing like magazine covers or you know, the commercials on the TV were um, very, very particular to what the age group was that was watching. It wasn't crazy stuff that would make a young child feel like, oh, I should look like that right now. And so it's so interesting with social media. This is kind of like a random little point, but um, it's interesting that now 13 year olds have a phone and instead of having curated commercials that are supposed to be like goofy and funny and not make you think I should look this way, they're following supermodels and Uh, influencers and people like me, basically, who post their best moments. And then you have young kids looking at you and you have this being in that position. I have like a sense of guilt because I'm like, I hope people do know that this is just my best moment and I'm putting it out because I feel really confident in it. But I don't want that to take away from somebody knowing like this isn't actually all reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's conversations like that, like this, that help to expand that truth and and to hopefully begin to put more of that into the the conversation because you're you're right little well little I mean they are little 13 year olds yeah. who are aware now of of um their body and who are aware of um uh their makeup and the clothes that they wear and um what kind of vibe certain images are putting forth and and, and such these are not thoughts that 13 year olds you right. know a decade or two decades ago, we're, 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 we're pulled to think about, and, and that's a pressure and a burden. And, and yeah. I don't, I don't know that we can repair it or stop the, this train that is barreling along, but yeah, it's crazy. One, of, one of the things that we, we can do is have discussions about like, Hey, this is, this is an aspect of my life, an aspect and a fun right. one and a cool one. And, um, one that can be part of my, uh, professional life, et cetera, but there, there are other aspects now that are struggles and, and hard and imperfect. I, I think it's the more that can be talked about, the better for everyone. And, and particularly for those kids. We're, we're yeah. And it's helpful for me sometimes to kind of think about like before social media, just humans, like the way we're built and our, and our brains and our bodies and everything, how we are just naturally born. Like we are never meant to see this is an Olivia fact. Let me preface. I have no research on this, but I believe <laughs> we are never meant to see that many people in our lifetime. Like the amount of people we can reach on social media is insane to me. Like it's unfathomable that we can see so many young girls and boys and women and men and their bodies and their hair and what they're doing today and the life they live and where they live and how much money they have. And it's so, so crazy to me that you have to remember like, this isn't probably the most normal thing for the human body and just like how we are built to digest in a like a very healthy way. So like take it with a grain of salt too. I, I think you raise a good point that I, ha- I hadn't really ever thought about, which is right. I mean, w- w- what you're saying is we're really not meant to reach and influence so many people yeah. in just the moment. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a crazy paradigm when you think about it, right? And totally. Now- it's been developed where just a uh, sort of a, a, an obtuse kind of random thing that you do or post about is 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 reaching so many people, as is the case for a lot of influencers. And and it is kind of a bizarre, unusual, not well thought out paradigm in terms of the the mental the mental health impact, right? right. I mean, and it just it just developed so quickly. So I, I I think it's a good idea for people to have more consciousness about 
what they're consuming, not just the images, but what what it does to how they think about themselves and how yeah. they feel about their lives, to at, their lives to at least have conversation about it. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. I think we really kind of went through most of the questions. A lot of people had very similar um, questions to ask you. So hopefully this helped you guys. And thank you so much for coming on again. People are obsessed with you. They love it. I mean, the DMs I get after every episode, like, damn, Olivia, this one really helped me today. It just, it means everything to me. So thank you so much. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for saying that. So good to be with you again. Yes, likewise. And thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next week. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare zumo play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels movies and full tv series you'll easily find something to watch right away and the best part it's all free love music get lost in the 90s with iheart 90s dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iheart radio music channels no logins no signups no accounts no hassle so what are you waiting for start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and google play stores today all you can stream with zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.